This episode of the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast is brought to you by Hamilton, a value-add investment and development firm in Nashville, Tennessee, focused on bringing passive real estate investment opportunities directly to your inbox. Visit www.investwithhamilton.com invest to sign up for upcoming investment opportunities. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast. We are here live on YouTube with Russ and Joey uh, from Wealth Without Wall Street. Uh, I was just on their podcast a couple weeks ago talking about commercial real estate. They've got a pretty interesting masterminding program over there that y'all should definitely go check out. And today we're going to be talking about investing as a limited partner or a silent partner uh, in real estate syndications. Uh, That was part of the conversation that came up with them uh, when we were chatting last that uh, they had some experience doing that. And I figured that might be a pretty good conversation for us to have since a lot of you all are uh, either exploring that or you're looking at bringing on limited partners into your own investments. Um, so why not have the other side's uh, opinion on it? Uh, so brief introduction on Russ and Joey. Uh, they share their perspective on investing in commercial real estate syndications from the investor's perspective. Again, great conversation for today. How to find syndications when and when not to invest and pitfalls that we're going to talk about as passive real estate investors. The duo run Wealth Without Wall Street, which is an online community that seeks to re-educate business owners and families on how money truly works. Their goal is to teach people how to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. So I'm assuming you guys are very much against stocks and bonds. I definitely want to touch on that today. Uh, the secret to doing this is having your money work for you, not someone else. Russ, Joey, how are you guys doing today? Man, oh. we're, we're great. We're great. I, I hope you don't mind. Our families are involved in every one of our podcasts in some shape or yeah. form. So just, <laughs> just <laughs> why a, not? Like, pre warn you, I said I can listen to Joey's family in the background right now. Just, <laughs> <laughs> and, and before you know it, my son Ryan's going to come in here. So I hope that's I hope that's cool with everybody. But man, let's get him so on the show. Time. Yeah, thank you for having us on. Excited to talk about this and. And to share our viewpoints as it relates to this area, this is something that we're passionate about teaching people how to become financially free. People who want to be financially free, people who want to do it without paying their house or using stupid 401k, other things like that. I want to talk about what strategies we've used and the people that we work with use to become financially free. And, and thank you for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess let's start, either one of y'all can, can kind of kick it off first, but when did y'all start investing in real estate? Well, uh, I can tell you this. I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Russ. Well, the, the first deal I did, man, uh, Tyler, I, I had the greatest experience possible investing in real estate. So I was, uh, I was working actually as a certified financial planner inside a typical financial planning office. And one of my business partners come to me and says, hey, you know, we just got finished renovating a 40 unit complex, turning them into condos. We want to uh, bring you in on the deal. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. He's like, yeah, here's actually the thing is that I sold all the units. And one of the units that I sold actually came back to me on a foreclosure. I've made all the money I want to make in the deal. I'll sell it to you at cost. I was like, perfect. Sounds great. Yeah, he's like, and even to make it one step better, I even already have a renter in the unit for you. Now, wow. I'm going to go ahead and tell you up front that it's not like really cash flowing, but I just wanted to get it rented. And then, you know, the lease will come up and then you can bring a person there and, and cash flow. But you're going to buy it. It's at 85000 right now. 
there's already units in this complex selling for 115, 120, 125,000. I thought, man, real estate investing is so easy. Now, I bought this <laughs> property. Famous in last March words. Of two, yeah, I bought this property in March of 2007. <laughs> so, um, a couple things happened uh, shortly thereafter, right? Like, one, uh, the university, because I was in a college town, they built about 1,500 units and basically promoted that to all the incoming freshmen, which, you know, crushed the market. Yep. Uh, secondly, this little thing called the Great Recession hit. <laughs> and um, a lot of the people out there uh, who were selling real estate and um, everything kind of had a recalculation. So my $85,000 unit that was not cash flowing went to a six-month vacancy as soon as that um, that tenant lease was up. And... The property that was worth 125,000 now was worth 60, and I got to enjoy that for about 15 years. That one property that was my first entree into real estate investing. Such an amazing deal. What did you What did you end up selling that for? I actually ended up selling it for. Let's see, 90 91,000 dollars in 2019. There you go. Look at that. That's what I, I I'd say that all the time. It's only a loss if you actually sell when it's down, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like yeah. you might I, not I, have gained a lot of money, it but it, yeah, exactly. I eventually, yeah, it's like a bad haircut, right? Just stick it out long enough. I mean, that's what I keep telling myself. I've had the yeah. same haircut since I was in high school. Like eventually it's going to come back in style. That's it, man. <laughs> that's great. Joey, what about you? So I, I am an accidental investor. Um, and I always say this is a terrible investment until it was a great investment. I bought my first house that my wife and I lived in in 2003, 2004. And it's a little condo, two bedroom, two bath. And about 18 months after we moved in, we realized it was way too small. We started to have uh, our first child come on the way. And we we're like, just getting the stuff in the second bedroom realized like before the baby's even here, there's no way we can fit in here. And so we moved out and I started renting it, but because I didn't buy it as an investment property, it was cash flowing like maybe 50 to a hundred dollars a month. It was nothing. Boom. It was, uh, it, and then you, you add in the fact the AC goes out, you know, something else goes wrong down the road. I never made any money on this whole, on this unit. But in the meantime, I overbought right? I bought way at the high end of what the value was. And so it lost value, couldn't sell it, had to rent it for as long as I could. And then fast forward to 2020, Russ and I get this crazy idea to start a short-term rental business. And here's my little two bedroom, two bath condo that basically is like the bane of my existence. <laughs> and I said, Russ, we should at least just try it with this unit. Right. So we, we renovated it. We put all new furniture in it. And the very first month cash flowed over $2,000. Wow. And I was like, I'm a genius. <laughs> I'm the best real estate investor ever. <laughs> uh, no, I was just grateful. And so we just, we kept rocking on and now we have 27 units in the short term rental space. So I'm, I'm grateful for this little beat down condo that was the bane of my existence. Yeah, man, it was your uh, it was it was your gateway drug into real estate investing. <laughs> exactly, that's awesome. Yeah, we uh, we actually kind of did the opposite when 2020 hit. We were I, my property management company used to manage short term rentals as well, and we 
we had 12 three or four bedroom units um, in the Nashville area and they were all cash flowing you know eight to ten grand a month and all of a sudden went to well grossing eight to ten grand a month for the management company and all of a sudden went to zero in March of 2020 and mm. that coupled with all of the regulation that you know the the council members and the city is trying to put on short-term rentals now we were like you know what it's it's too crazy of an environment we're just going to focus on what we do best and and uh sometimes i regret moving out of short-term rentals because man my friends that still have theirs you know they've only got one or two units but they make a ton of money off of them um but once you get to 10 or 12 it's a it can be a headache you've got to have some serious management in place yeah, we, yeah. we definitely are ad, uh, adamantly against doing things actively. And so we uh, hired an operator to run the entire thing for us passively. So um, if we had to do it, there would, there would be zero units um, yeah. in our portfolio. That's right. <laughs> so tell me, tell me a little bit more about that. I mean, when did you guys kind of have the epiphany of everything we want to do is going to be passive? Well, it's interesting. We brought in a COO to come kind of consult with us three days a week. What was that, Joey? 2019, 2018? It's probably 2018, yeah. Yeah. We, we brought him in and said, hey, you know, we've, we've had a lot of success in our mainline business. So our mainline business was basically an insurance business at the time. We focused on a concept called infinite banking. We had just started yeah. personally doing... Um, you know, some passive income investing and was starting to build a community online through our podcast and everything else. But it was pretty early on. And he comes in and he says, okay, guys, you know, my job is to come in and help you guys improve efficiency, but also help you get what you want. What is the thing that you want? And both of us without like skipping a beat was like, we want more time, right? I mean, I think that that's what most of us want if you really boil it down, because whatever the things are that we may say in place of time, ultimately time, is what those things give us or enjoyment of those things is we have to have time. And he said, okay, great, perfect. So what I need to do is get you more time. So what I need to know first is how much money do you need to make every single year in order for you to have all those things that you want? So then I can back into what do we need to do to scale? And we gave him a number and he said, great, perfect. What did you guys make last year? And we said, it's X plus one. He goes, okay, well, cool. Then every decision we make from this point forward in your life needs to be, is it going to require any more of your time? If it does, the answer is no. <laughs> and it was like, okay. And so when it, it and that, that was hard because that was really early. Again, 2018, we started the podcast in 2017. Every person we talked to, like yourself and everyone else who's doing deals, we get excited about and we're like, I wanna get involved in this. But a lot of those things sometimes was, my enjoyment in a lot of things are being a business owner, having some sort of operational control. And I was like, oh, crap. Well, how are we going to do this and not inject more of our time, like not take more of our time away? And I, I think it was hard, but that was the, the premise that we did is follow that in every decision. Well, OK, if I'm going to pick up time in doing this, where am I going to give up time that I'm applying somewhere else? And is, is this going to get me closer to what I want or further away? I think that's such a great mentality to have. Um, you know, my my grandparents' generation, they just didn't really think like that. You know, it was you work until the day that you die or, you know, you retire, you work for 40 years for the same company and then you get a pension from them, 
right? And and we all found out pretty quickly that you know, that doesn't really always work. You've got to be working on multiple streams of income um, that you can that you can retire off of. And so the fact that you guys are out there spreading that knowledge, I think, is pretty powerful for a lot of people because. You know, I'm meeting more and more younger people uh, almost every day that are that, like the first thing that they say is I want to get to five thousand dollars a month in passive income. And I'm like, man, that's so cool that you're 25 years old and you're already thinking about that. Well, think about it like right now, if you're not thinking that way, then you're like somebody sitting on the Titanic with no lifeboats. And and the W-2 that most people have, they've put this false sense of security behind. Like there is no social contract with your job that says that it's guaranteed or that it's more secure than having your own business. We just have bought that as, well, it's more secure. And in this environment, this economic environment that we're in, if you're not creating multiple streams of income, taking that active income and, and putting it on this other side of the equation to create that passive income, you're literally sitting there with no lifeboats. And, and that's why we're, we're passionate about that message. And our community is, is looking continuously for ways to do that and become more free. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, uh, it's everything. I think about that all the time, right? I mean, you know, I, I know that I'm not that old, right? But I just turned 30 this year. And for whatever reason, like that's actually been on my mind a lot more here recently is, man, you know, I've already, I'm a decade down in my career. Like, what am I going to be focusing on over the next decade? And passive income is what it's all about. It's how much passively can I make off of YouTube and the podcast and and my website as well as all of the real estate because you got to have multiple different streams of income right I mean you know even my investors you know I, I I diversify through commercial real estate but even then that's not even remotely close to my only stream of income you've got to just diversify and, and get it out there yeah I mean so many people like we, we a lot of times will say there's the there's the bad there's the good and there's the great. And I think too oftentimes most people are on the bad process and we and we we beat up on Wall Street, but I think it is deservingly so is that most people are living this deferred lifestyle where they're deferring taxes, they're deferring enjoyment, they're deferring access to money and they're deferring rate of return. And it's all upon this process where I'm just going to save enough to where I have this multiple seven figures in an account. And when I get to that point, then I'm going to, you know, Call it quits. I'm going to you know, walk out of my, my office and never have to go back and live the lifestyle that I've been dreaming of. But that is such it's such a false premise, because one, you don't know how much you need Two, you don't know how long it's going to last. Three, you don't know if it's going to be there when you get there. And, so, and then lastly, the, the enjoyment of all these things, typically the things that you want to do now in life will be completely different then and it's hard to break habits by the way those who yeah. skimp in life will never become like not frugal when they get to retirement <laughs> like they're always going to be that way and i think we train ourselves poorly and so we live this what we would say this bad deferred lifestyle instead of trying to find ways to improve upon it yeah it's uh you know ever since i, I got into commercial real estate syndication i guess three or four years ago, you know, people uh, in my circle all the time, they're like, man, you've got the dream job. You're like, you're, you're so lucky you get to go raise capital and do all these investments. And my response is always like, 
No, I don't have a, I don't have the dream job. You know who has the dream job? My investor that just gave me $500,000 that's going to do absolutely nothing for the next five years while I go bust my ass every day to double or triple his money. <laughs> He's right. got the dream job. That's what I'm working towards. I want to be an LP. <laughs> right. Well, and there's benefits to being an LP, right? Like you, you start yeah. creating that cash flow. You start get. you hopefully have the access to the money. You, you can uh, get some tax benefits along the way. But at some, at some level, you have to figure out the the next level, which how do you, you know, how do you increase control of that money? How do you like invest? And I know that's where you were, we were talking before we press record of some of the things that we've done in the past and some things from an LP side that didn't go so great, right? Well, I, I think oftentimes people start investing without understanding who they are as an investor. And, you know, Robert Kiyosaki is famous for saying there's no good or bad investments, it's just good or bad investors. And I think too often times people are not great investors, right? So the person who gives you $500,000 and knows this is exactly what jazzes me up, this is the perfect investment for me, he's already uh, aligned that so that he can or she can go do the thing that they're doing and do that well and crush it, that's great. Now, I give you $500,000, my investment type, I'm going to have anxiety in that one. I probably will give you 500,000 yeah. because, because <laughs> it, it, it just doesn't jazz up with my personal investor DNA. Like I'm one oh, of those yeah. people who like to build businesses. Now you, now you say, Hey Russ, let's go create a boutique hotel in Birmingham, Alabama. Then I, I'm all in, like, let's do it. Let's partner in that deal together. And now I don't want to do any part. I, I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of the marketing and give some oversight to, to operational or other, other areas, bring some influencers to the process. I'm all over that. But otherwise, I don't put much money into a lot of deals that I don't get to do that in. And the ones I have, typically, I, I look at all the negatives because it didn't fill me up. Yeah. By the, by the way, Tyler, he, he's not, he is serious about the boutique hotel. Like, so yeah, just, 100%. whatever 100%. you're doing later on this week, we're going yeah. to be yeah. and uh, we'll, we'll see you there. Yeah, let's talk about that. We're we're almost fully under contract, so we'll we'll be taking that out to our investors here uh, here pretty soon, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, Randall is saying, "I thank you guys for this live. Just learned about this and need the insight. That's really exciting, Randall. I mean, I, I didn't know about limited partner investing for like seven years uh, when I first joined uh, the commercial real estate industry. I mean, I was working in it for seven years before I figured out." really what it was because, or maybe it was closer to five, but still that's a long time because the guys that I worked with, they just self-funded all of their own deals. They didn't want to deal with investors. And, and uh, man, when I learned about syndication, it was pretty wild. Uh, but Joey, kind of going along that line, when did you start, when did you find out about real estate syndications? I guess it would have been uh, early on in our podcasting days, um, 2017, roughly around there. Uh, we started interviewing people all across the country who had passive income ideas. And obviously those became, um, some happen to be different types of investments, like could be multifamily, could be um, industrial, could be, you know, ATMs, like we, we've invested in ATMs and things like that. And so just kind of understanding that there's a lot of things that make up a syndication uh, one, it is can be totally passive, which is super attractive. But then you start to understand that there's a lot more layers to any syndication and the operator being the most important, right? Uh, ROI, returns, that's what everybody kind of like zeroes in on. 
but none of those things really matter if the operator doesn't manage it well, uh, the asset. So um, anyways, but that, that's when I first got my, my first kind of take on uh, syndications. Yeah, Joey, I think that's so important. I mean, the team behind the deal is infinitely more important than the deal. I mean, you look at, uh, it's, like, it's like on Shark Tank. You know, they, they almost always end up investing in the entrepreneur, not necessarily the product, because maybe the product's okay. They don't know. But they're, they're you know, the sharks are like, I know that you're going to figure something else out, and I want to be here for when you do that next thing. And it's the same with commercial real estate syndications. I mean, at the end of the day, like those project. I mean, are you ever going to see an offering memorandum that has bad projections on it? Absolutely not. It's just not how it works. Um, but... You know, you will see uh, good teams take a, a good deal and make it great. You'll see bad teams take a great deal and make it bad. Uh, it just it happens all the time. Russ, what about you? When yeah, did you start investing? Like, in? Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say it's kind of like showing up to a first date and not, you know, getting dressed up and taking a shower and all that kind of stuff. Like, <laughs> of course, that very first <laughs> that, that go well. uh, memorandum is going to be clean. It's going to be sweet yeah. looking. But uh, it doesn't mean anything. That's right. Everybody's lying on the first date. <laughs> well, it's easy too, though. I think sometimes as investors, we do get caught up in that process, right? Like you want to talk about it from the LP, the consumer side. Early on, it's so it's so exciting to say I can get involved into a multifamily project with as little as fifty or a hundred thousand dollars, whatever that amount is, and I can be like in a two million, five million, twenty million dollar deal, and I, I get all the upside, I get all of the access, I get the depreciation, get all these things that typically, like you said, we tend to think of, oh, I'd have to have a million dollars to participate in this project. This is isn't available. And then we we see one presentation where somebody's saying they're showing, you know, the projected performer of the project and oh I'm gonna get this amount of return. It's gonna, you know, ultimately we're gonna sell it for this and have this amount of exit. And we're like, sign me up, right? I mean, it's just Let's that easy. Go. This is, and we don't know any questions to ask, right? Because up to this point, what have we been investing in? We've been investing in mutual funds. Did you ever know the person that you were investing in in the mutual fund? Of course you did. Not a, did not you a really chance. challenge it? Yeah, you didn't know what questions to ask, so you didn't ask any questions. And then you take that same approach to start investing in this. And and I think that that's where I fall. I feel, you know. In, in the bad habit early on is I just took my previous investment knowledge and said, I don't want to invest in Wall Street anymore. I want to start creating cash flow. I'm going to invest in alternative assets. And oh, here's a deal. Here's a group. It was referred to me by someone else that I knew I liked and trusted them. I said, okay, I'm going to put money in it. And, it, and then I was like, okay, Joey, I'm going to do this deal. Would you mind? Um, flying with me, I want to go meet these people, right? Like I want to like do a little due diligence because just like true form, if if we do it, we will talk about it. And I want to be cautious of what we talk about with other people just so that if, if for some reason this isn't a good deal, I want to know more about it. So Joey says, yeah, I'll come with you. Where are we going? I was like, uh, we're going to Phoenix, Arizona. That's where this group is from. He's like, sounds cool. And, and we actually, we found a couple other places to go to on that trip to go do some more research. We brought two other buddies of ours. One was a CPA, one was another advisor and thought, man, we got this thing covered. So we went and met these people, went and looked at their projects, asked them all the limited questions we knew to ask. And was like, 
sounds like a good deal. So we all started investing. And it was what we thought we were doing. We thought we were doing due diligence, but we were still truly following a limited knowledge base. We were truly trying to invest in projects and not the people itself. And, and I, you know, we go deeper into why that project as an LP was a really bad thing for me because I didn't know, I didn't really understand the operator. The operator really didn't understand the marketplace. I think I invested in literally the only multifamily deal in 2016 that was sold in 2022, just, just finally dispersed of those assets that didn't make money. <laughs> Like, oh, I don't no. even know, like, how, how can I find that? How can I find that? You gotta work hard deal? to find these deals, Tyler. Like these are, <laughs> I mean, these are like, you know, needle in a haystack deal. It, it's hard, but the, 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 I, what I love about this is all education, right? Like there's all education and OPM for our, the people who follow us online is beautiful because we just use our money to tell people about all the stupid things you should not yeah. do. And what you should do along the way and of course we learned along the way we started investing in other deals and have a lot of successes in those but i always like to to focus on the ones that didn't work out because it's like okay what did we learn from that that we can apply to improve the next one yeah patrick's saying uh if you three are involved please just take my money already <laughs> gladly patrick will happily do it um so russ let's let's unpack that a little bit more because i think uh, you know oftentimes you can learn so much more from somebody else's mistakes uh than you can if a project went well right i mean the, the most that i have ever learned in commercial real estate was when things went wrong right i mean we had a deal where uh one of the partners ended up committing a significant amount of fraudulent activity and uh disappeared off the face of the earth and and that caused a lot of problems that uh, fortunately we still made out with good returns on the deal but, you know, we had to go through a fire sale process because I didn't want to get the asset frozen by the FBI and um, learned a whole lot along the way that I never thought I would ever have to know. But, yeah, let's let's talk about that, um, that experience. Yeah. Well, you, you just brought up a bad memory when you talked about the FBI and money being frozen. The only difference in another experience that I had that you had is that we did make out with good returns. Oh, um, no. We were we had gotten involved in a deal that we didn't do the due diligence, meaning that the person was, it was actually a bridge loan deal. It was, it turned out to be a billion dollar Ponzi scheme. Uh, it was from our end, we had over half a million dollars in the deal. And the, the people who were supposedly backing the assets with hundred percent collateral and lending up to 60% were lending not only to, they were not lending to third parties. They were lending to themselves and they were doing deals at hundred percent, hundred ten percent deals. Wow. And, and they were not putting us on the, the title like they were supposed to, so that we, we would have been guaranteed. We ultimately became unsecured creditors with everybody else. That was a really bad deal. Right? So, um, that that's a, I won't talk about that one anymore, how, but how I want to talk have, about Tyler. I, I just, <laughs> yeah, I'll be here. Cause let's, got, let's bring out deals. all the battle scars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got so many deals that uh, that Patrick really does not want to invest with me. Um, but <laughs> maybe he would if he, if he was like, okay, you explain all of those things. I now know what to ask people so that I can avoid all of that stuff. <laughs> so so here, here's a deal that I did get into. I talked about a second ago. It's a multifamily project. The company actually had 13 different apartment complexes going in. Initially, I was just investing in one of the projects. And a couple of things that that I learned from this experience. One, management of the project is so vital, right? Like the people that are operating the actual yeah. project itself 
are so important. I, I, when Joey and I went out and met with these people out in Phoenix, I really actually thought that they were ridiculously smart people. I mean, they, they had the credentials, they had a, a decent track record. And it was like, these are the kind of people that I would trust to make the right decisions. The problem were they were not the end operator. They were actually farming out the operations to local management teams and assuming that that was good. Well, you know, again, I, I, I could trust them, but I didn't understand their management capability of the managers of the project. So not only did the, the local management team fail miserably, that they had to switch them out multiple times because they, wow. were, they, were, they were steadily in the 60 and 70% occupancy rate, which was, it's tough to make money in that space, right? Whenever you're at, at that rate. But then they they also didn't have the, the they were basically, they sucked at delegation, man. They, they, they picked bad people to help them. They, they decided one of the uh, mistakes they made is that they thought, oh, we're going to take all our 13 properties. We're going to put it under one accounting team. And by doing that, we're going to get scale to our accounting. It's going to give us ability to um, have a viewpoint to every all the projects that we're going to be doing, as well as we're going to be able to um, reduce our accounting costs. I don't know who did the math, but it was not the case. They actually increased their accounting costs significantly and delayed how long it took for us to get access to that information. So we were three months behind before we really knew how bad their deals were going. So we as investors were not able to ask real time questions. Third thing that I dealt with in this is we end up having a fire in the project. So the one of the wow. buildings caught on fire and uh, burned, burned to the ground. <laughs> so I mean, it's hard to negotiate that. I mean, you don't really you know, those things happen. So I'm, happens, not gonna blame, yeah. I'm not gonna blame that on them, right? Like, I don't know how they could figure it out. But the third thing or the fourth thing that went wrong in this project is that they had been um, they were not set up appropriately in with their SEC licensing stuff. And so what? they end up getting into an SEC issue that ultimately caused them to re reorganize. And so then they took these 13 individual properties that were all operating into, uh, independently of each other for good or bad and put them into one fund. Well, of course, that added a whole new layer of complexity to the whole project. Not only did they incur tons of legal fees to make all of that happen, but then now they took assets that were maybe the independently ability to be sold and pulled them all into one entity, which made them much more difficult to sell. So, I mean, there was so many little things along the way that I was watching as an LP that really, I'm like, how can I get any worse than this? But those were issues that we were seeing. Man, that's rough. I, I the SEC, is such a big deal to us that we're like we're constantly reviewing the guidelines to make sure that we're not violating it in any way possible because you do not want to mess with those guys. I mean, the SEC regulates all of these offerings, at least they're supposed to be if the operators are doing their job. And uh, man, those those guidelines scare the hell out of me because I mean, if they if the SEC comes after you, they can. And, and they prove that you've done something wrong, they can bar you from ever raising capital from investors again. Right. And that, I mean, that, that would take you out of the game. Randall's got a really good question that's kind of a lead off of what you just said. So how do you stay away from bad deals? 
You know, he, he's trying to build first-generation wealth. That's a great question, Randall. And I, I would say we, we started talking early on about, like, how most people kind of get into this deferred lifestyle, the bad, right? There's, there's all these things that, that limit us in life. And then there are some investors that start to make some ideas around cash flow and investing. And I think that's where Russ and I were when we first took on this deal is we were just at the early stages. We didn't even really understand what we were trying to accomplish. We just knew we didn't want to be on Wall Street, right? And we wanted to have alternative ways to, to gain higher rates of return and things of that nature but we, we, it wasn't organized behind who are we as investors. That's where the great comes in, okay? The, if, if there's a bad uh, you know, projection, a good projection, the great projection is when I know that the investments that I'm making match up with who I am as an investor. What's my personal way that I see the world? Like God has created me to, to uniquely see the world in a certain way and the ways that I invest should should line up with that. And so there's a profile that we've created actually that people can take and it helps them to line up with, we have six passive income streams that we've put on there. There's numerous ones you can apply it to. But once you know that and you know what your end goal is, then you can say, man, this particular investment lines up perfectly with what I'm looking for. And it gives you confidence that you're headed in the right direction. I want to chip in there too, Randall. I think that's such a great question. And it's the, the fact that you're asking this and you're learning it here means you don't have to learn it the way that we learned it by, yeah. by doing all the wrong things. And not that you'll get every bit of it right, right? I do think there's value in just failing, right? There's a great example of this professor who takes this art class and divides them into half and the first half he says, okay, you're graded based upon volume and the other half you're, va uh, you're graded based upon perfection, right? And so the one group goes to creating art and they're just creating, creating, creating as much as they possibly can because that's how they're gonna be graded at the end. The second half of the class spend all their time and effort. They start a project and then they go, this isn't perfect and they stop. They start a project, stop, right? At the end of the year, the, the, the group at the beginning with the volume, not only created a lot of art but more importantly they created the best looking art because they had refined it over and over and over again so there is value in doing things and improving upon it like just waiting to be perfect is not the approach so please make sure you hear that before we start talking about this but i do think when you're you're talking to operators that's the way you evaluate deals you evaluate the people and you start asking great questions you ask, what is it that you like about the deal that you're getting into? How are you going to manage operational issues as they arise? Give me an example of an operational issue that happened in the past and what did you do when that happened, right? These are just a handful of questions that you can start understanding the person that you're dealing with. Because I think, put the numbers off the side, right? Like there's not an operator that's going to show you bad numbers. So quit looking at the numbers. The, the numbers don't mean anything because, yeah. they, I mean, like I, my father-in-law loves to say, you know, uh, liars figure and figures lie, right? So it, we just put that <laughs> off to the side. Let's get to understanding the person that we're in and then applying what Joey said. 
how does the investment ap apply to who I am? Am I going to be aligned with it? Can I somewhat at some point in time add value to it? If I can, then I can improve it. And I think the more we learn about who we are, the more that we can control what we're investing in and the better that we can understand the people that we're investing with, then that's how we get into deals that probably more um, ha have better results, at least or we understand why they didn't work out and we can improve upon them for the uh, future ones. Yeah, I mean, I, to that, Tyler, I, I was going to add one like practical thing about what Russ just said. We had somebody come on our in our mastermind, actually, and share about RV parks. And man, I was totally interested in the asset class. I was like, this is super hot right now. People are, are going crazy over RVs and they want to travel and all this kind of stuff. And I started to evaluate the deal based on what Russ just broke down. And there was a couple of things about it that just didn't add up. I love the asset but it didn't have the tax benefits I was looking for. It didn't have the cash flow. The, the cash flow was severely delayed, at least in my opinion. It was an 18 to 24 month time frame before we'd see any cash flow from the project. And I am much more aligned with immediate cash flow, even if it's of a smaller amount, as long as that, because that's what I'm creating is passive income to exceed my monthly expenses. Once I knew a couple of those things, it just was like, man, great asset, wrong, wrong deal for me. And I was able to move on from it. So just, there's a lot more aspects that you can apply to this, but I just want to give one example of how I, I implemented what Russ was just saying. Yeah. I mean, even if you're going to be a passive investor, you need to know how to be able to evaluate a deal, just like a, a deal sponsor would, because you know, that's how you can really tell if the sponsor is being remotely close or, you know, in bounds with their projections or if they're just out of this world. You know, if you're if you're looking at a hotel deal, right, and they're projecting five hundred dollars a night ADR and you start looking at, you know, hotels.com and you're finding out that everybody else is charging one hundred and fifty to two hundred dollars a night, they better have either like the most insane hotel in that area with the backing to prove that 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 can work or you know their numbers are wrong and so right. I, I completely agree with that i mean warren buffett you know has has notoriously not invested in technology stocks because as he says he doesn't understand tech companies and he's this is one of the wealthiest men in the world he invests in you know some of the most boring quote unquote right type of businesses but they make money and he understands how they work. Yeah. Yeah. The more, the more you know about an investment, the more you understand how it works, you're probably going to ask great questions, right? That's going to allow you to ask better questions. I think too often times we're just investing in things we have no understanding about. So you could, you're like, uh, Tyler just said ADR. Let me Google what that means, right? <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Because we're in the, because we're in the short-term rental space. I know that that means average daily rental, right? The average yep. daily rate, like that's going to help me understand. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Well, I'm helping my daughters right now try to create their first entrepreneurial endeavor. And we're looking at doing Turo. And so I was doing the exact same calculation just with a truck. Like we're looking at buying a truck. And I was thinking, okay, well, what is the what, what is the average daily rate that we could charge? Well, how do we find that out? Well, we can go on Turo, that's one, and then we can go to Hertz.com and Enterprise.com. You know, we can start searching and seeing what the market's telling us. 
And then we can start backing into some other calculations, depreciation, maintenance. There's all these other things we have to be able to calculate for and then say, okay, can we make a return on this? Would we enjoy being a part of this process? And that's kind of what you're saying, I believe. Yeah. So you guys have been through the battles. You've gotten the scars. How do you look at these deals now? Just like in what's, terms of any, like what's any your, sort of Yeah, I mean, what's what? yeah, what's your approach in the syndication? What are you looking out for? Like, what are the last couple of deals that you, you've invested in? So the, the last few deals that we've invested in have been um, more on the business side. So, for instance, uh, we have a land flipping business that we partnered with an operator on a, a 70 30 split. All the capital is from us and they but they have all the internal operations set up themselves and it just runs without us. But we know that it's constantly being reinvested in through the cash flows created from the note sales from those the, those land deals consistently just continue to build the portfolio. That's something that has been super interesting to us. But we also had a two to three year relationship with the operator before we ever pulled this thing off. Um, the second thing we mentioned was the short term rental business. It's been a couple of years now since we've done it, but we continue to invest in it because the operator is in place. We invested in terms of uh, training, coaching and all the systems that it takes to be successful in that so that we could scale. Those are the, the main two. And then we've gotten into a the, Bitcoin fund as well. Well, yeah, there's some other syndications that we've invested in. So technology, I, I think is something that we're kind of interested in. I mean, part of our creed is that we're going to embrace new technologies and use that in a way that helps uh, our, our communication with the people that we're interacting with. So I, it, it's funny for me to say that and then follow it up with the word ATM, right? Like and most probably the, the the three of us have probably not taken money out of an ATM very no. frequently for the last <laughs> 10 years. Right. But there is a technology within ATMs that's actually if you think about what's happening in our in our in our economy. Right. Like a, like you don't have to watch the news for long to realize immigration is a big issue. Right. Well, I don't care which side of the fence you're on. It is a new, that is a population group that is largely growing in our country. Well, that is an unbaked population. And the ones that do have baked, they're, they're using ATMs to access cash. That, that's very frequent. So one of the things that we thought of is, OK, how do we how do we take that market trend and invest in it? As well as there's all sort of technology. I want to go into all the details of how they're doing facial recognition and they're selling advertisements. No, it's crazy. And ATMs have, have, have ridiculously improved in their market space. We believe that that's a technology worth investing in. It had some tax benefits that we liked about it. It created cash flow that we liked about it. The second one, and Joey said it right there at the end, is in the Bitcoin space. So we have a relationship with a group that we've we've been, we, Joey and I bought uh, Ethereum computers mining computers back in 2017 i believe it was and and have those online we've got almost 30 between us that have been mining bitcoin for the last whatever five years and this group that we've been you know interacting with and have had one of the um you know sole operators in it come and speak to our mastermind a couple of times we invested in a syndication that he put together that's actually putting together a bitcoin mining fund where they're bringing actually the uh, a big huge storage uh, facility on, uh, in place for, at the end of the month. And we've got, I don't know, a hundred and something computers going to be mining Bitcoin over the next five years. So we're investing through a syndication into a technology. We think ultimately, again, you don't have to look very far to say what's an issue that we're dealing with in the economy. 
we see inflation, right? We see dollar issues. We see uh, countries who are uh, having uh, currency trouble. We believe that there's a need for that, but also we see the back end side of uh, these cryptocurrencies where you have infrastructure through the blockchain. And so we're buying into something that we're buying into people, but we're also buying into something we think has future and it kicks off a daily cash flow. It's it just the cash flow is just not in USD. It's in BTC. Yeah, oh, I love it. Well, guys, we're coming up uh, on about 45 minutes. Um, if anybody wants to get in touch with you all to discuss infinite banking or wealth without Wall Street, what's uh, what's the best way for them to find you? So the best way uh, we have full time coaches standing by the, to just have a free coaching call. And that's to go through and say, where, where are you at right now? How can we help you? Is this a good fit? And to lay out like what your next right step would be in terms of getting to your own financial freedom goals. So you can go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash free call. That's wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash free call and uh, get that 15 minute call set up today. Awesome. Great, guys. I really appreciate the conversation. That was uh, that was pretty wonderful hearing that that side of the experience. Sorry sorry for the bad ones you've been through. Hey, follow us for more tips on uh, amazing (laughs) syndications. (laughs) Yeah. You know what's funny? One of my buddies, he is a terrible gambler. Terrible gambler. Loves doing it. But everybody that he teaches how to gamble, whenever they go to the casino, they crush it and make a ton of money. So he's like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but apparently I've I've got the magic touch with teaching people. I think it's so funny. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, people ask us all the time, how is it that you guys are the, the passive income kings and you, and you invest in such deals that, that screw up so bad? Um, but the <laughs> deals that we find, ultimately, it takes us a while, but we've created two or three that have, you know, produced over 50000 a month for us, uh, kind of on and off for the last three years. And it's those winners, right? I mean, it, yeah. it's, I feel like a lot of times we're, we're kind of like venture capitalists where you invest in 10 yeah. deals three are going to completely die on the vine, uh, you know, three or four are just going to be so-so. And then you're going to have roughly you know, two or three, they're going to be winners. And that's kind of the way we've, we've approached this is that not everything wins, but know why and, and, and get in the right places, get with the right people. And you see success along the way. And if you can measure it monthly to Joey's point, I think one of the biggest problems people have going back to my last point, the hammer in wall street is that people, defer rate of return. And they don't think about that. But I'm going to say it right now on this show. First time I've ever said it uh, on air. That your 401k, your IRA, your Wall Street investment has a zero, zero rate of return. Challenge me. Challenge me that that's not right. Tell me why that ain't so. Because until you sell it, you got no rate of return. Every single month in every investment that we're, we're, we're in, just kicking out cash flow, I'm calculating a rate of return because it's being sold to some level every month I get a check. That's the great thing about investing in technology and businesses and real estate is that it's appreciating just like stocks and bonds would, right? Or maybe not as much bonds, but definitely stocks, but it's cash flowing. And on some of those like business and real estate, you get depreciation. Right. It's, it's tough to argue against. Uh, Evan and Don, you all had a couple of questions in the live chat that I will answer in the comments uh, as soon as we are done here. Uh, but Russ, Joey, appreciate you guys coming on the show. 
Yeah, man. It's our pleasure, man. Thank you. Yep. Y'all take care. Thank you for listening to the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast, brought to you by Hamilton, your resource for passive real estate investment opportunities. Visit www.investwithhamilton.com to start building your passive real estate portfolio today.